Hi, everybody. This is Bill McGlynn. This is the RAF podcast, and I believe it's number four, unless I've lost count. And today we're interviewing and chatting with Carmen Mowbray. And Carmen, as some of you may or may not know, she was one of the really early RAFers and uh, has done more work on behalf of the RAF than probably any other single person in the RAF, honestly. I mean, Carmen has put in an Hours and hours and hours of effort shows up at every work party. I mean, my God, you you are the iconic RAF person. You really are, Carmen. Well, thank <laughs> you, Bill. I, I'll live that legend. I, I love the I love what you said, and uh, part of it is true. So, <laughs> that, I'm no, no doubt that St. Peter, when you get there, he's going to have a special place for you. Well, I hope, I hope it's a hanger. <laughs> I, I hope it looks like the cockpit of your airplane, at least with a really good view. You know. Well, I wouldn't mind some upgrades on the panel if uh, I have any uh, <laughs> to say about it. <laughs> I'm still using some steam gauges. Uh, so, yeah, well, but I it's a beautiful 182. It's a backcountry 182. It it has a heart of backcountry in it, and I and I was lucky enough to be able to see it before I uh, started work on my 182. So now my 182 looks like a backcountry 182 like yours. So. <laughs> Well, they yeah. do the job, don't they? Yeah, we're we're the, we're the respectable nose gear people, honestly. Hey, I I want to start this conversation uh, by finding out how did you get involved in aviation in the beginning? What 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 was the magic? Well, we uh, my my ex husband and I had a printing company, and the local FBO was an eccentric with very expensive taste. And he came into our little shop, and those of you that might remember sheet-fed printing before the advent of the photocopier will remember that uh, four-color printing was very expensive and, and fairly involved. And so this uh, fellow racked up a large bill and couldn't pay it. And my husband and I looked at each other and said, well, his business card says that he does flight instruction. Why don't we trade out what he owes us in flight instruction? So we made an agreement and uh, my ex-husband Todd started looking in Western Flyer and he found uh, what he thought he could afford, a, a, a 1957 Tri-Pacer. And so he rounded up a pilot and drove out. Uh, the pilot flew this little airplane back. And of course, Tri-Pacer. I was so excited to see this Tri-Pacer. I was so ignorant. I thought it had three engines. I thought that's what Tri-Pacer meant. <laughs> well, yeah, so, like a Ford Tri-Motor, right? Exactly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That was, when I saw this little fabric flow, you know, flying milk stool, <laughs> I thought, oh, well, you know, that'll be a good starter airplane. We'll, we'll get our tri-motor some other time. So anyway, <laughs> we both soloed and burned through the guy's uh, credit and absolutely loved it. Uh, we went into the backcountry with that plane until, uh, unfortunately, my um, former husband uh, landed in the snow at Sealy and uh, flipped it over and uh, called me from Seely Lake and said, yeah, um, you want to come up and pick me up? The snow's a little deep to get out. <laughs> well, I drove the three hours to Seely Lake, and here's the airplane. The propeller looked like a pretzel, and the wings weren't symmetrical anymore. And so that, uh, that first little airplane of ours, the last time I saw it, it was on a flatbed trailer with its wings strapped to its side. But it was a marvelous introduction to flying. 
So kind of fast forwarding, we had a couple other tri-pacers. We ended up with a Cessna 175 and um, big long propeller on that thing. We ended up dinging it at Chamberlain Meadows. Uh, flew as far as Hamilton, Montana and Stan Reed over there. Some of the Montana pilots may remember Stan Reed in Hamilton. He just looked at the prop and got his file out and filed away on one side and filed away on the other. And he said, you know, you're good. You're good to go. <laughs> that was the 175. I uh, ended up with a nice little Cardinal RG, a 200 horse Cardinal RG, and took that into the back country. Had no problem. Just we were careful. We chose our scripts carefully. But by then we had two children and weight and balance was becoming a a bit of an issue, so um, my my ex-husband would say, okay, uh, how many marshmallows are you going to eat? Well, okay, one, two. How many marshmallows are you going to eat? <laughs> we weighed everything. I even saw the end off my toothbrush handle to save weight. <laughs> you know, it adds up. Yeah, it does add up. <laughs> so anyway, about along, along about then, um, I met Chuck Jarecki. He would come into our newspaper office. One of the office. founders. One of the founders, yeah. He would come into our newspaper office. By then, we, we had a newspaper and a large printing facility. And uh, Chuck would, I would wait on him, and he'd show me these marvelous travel logs he'd written of all these places he'd gone. And what he did was he had one of our employees uh, take it home and, and type it up formally on her computer at home. And uh, I started. I asked him, I said, Chuck, can I look at this before you, uh, we give it to the gal? And he said, well, sure. And I was fascinated with it. So Chuck and I became friends and Penny, his wife, Penny. And um, he started getting involved in, uh, in the RAF. And I had the distinction of living halfway between Chuck's house and the airport. So every day he wasn't out flying, he'd go to the airport for coffee. And then he'd stop at my house on his way home and have more coffee and tell me what everybody at the airport had said. <laughs> the reporter. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a wonderful exposure to, to the adventures he had had flying. And in so doing, he started asking me to edit all of his RAF and Montana Pilots Association correspondence. And so naturally, I got very interested in what the RAF was doing. And... Uh, became more and more involved and offered my uh that was probably like 2004 or something then it was it was right after the founding actually i yeah. was at the original meeting that they had in bozeman to kind of come up with some <coughs> pardon me some names and so forth and i i suggested um you know they had the backcountry aviation committee and this kind of thing and i thought well why not barf Backcountry uh, Aviation <laughs> Recreational Committee, we, or for a foundation, we could call ourselves BARF. Uh, the, the founders didn't think that was very funny, so they moved on. <laughs> but then I met McKenna's, and naturally, when you meet McKenna's, you become instant friends of McKenna's. And so <laughs> yeah. the relationship has just grown since then. I was very uh, familiar with most of the founders, Carl Spielman and Dan Prill, and uh, of course, Chuck and John and um, some of the others, and just admire these fellows enormously for the vision and and stamina. Uh, John coincidentally just mailed me a, a talking points 
that they had written back in 2002 trying to um, address the loss of backcountry uh, aviation opportunities. And so he's been at this a long time and he's never, yeah. you know, he's never, his enthusiasm has never waned. I know it. It is absolutely true. And people talk about succession planning for John McKenna. And I said, well, do you know when he's going to die? <laughs> yeah. There is no succession planning with John McKenna until he dies. <laughs> and he's, you know, we're, we're blessed to have him. And his, Yes, we his, are. Yes, we are. Certainly. Hey, I, as well. you, you said something in there that I want to, I want to make note of because um, you have told me before that you made three trips to the Northwest Territories with Chuck Jarecki. Well, yes. Um, Penny came to me one spring and she said, you know. Chuck's wife. Chuck's wife, Penny. She came to me and said, you know, you, you're a pilot and you and Chuck seem to get along. She said, would you consider flying north with him in my stead? I said, whoa, I'd love to, absolutely. So we, you know, this was springtime. We went in July the first time. Uh, I think we were on wheels the first time. We were, we were in his 180 on wheels with a 520. Um, had a fabulous trip. We got all the way up to, um, uh, in the Yukon Territory, a place called Pharaoh, a little old uh, mining town where he knew a lot of people because he'd been there before. He took of course me he had. To, he took me to the visitor center. Well, he he said, let's go sign the guest book. So I took the pen and I signed in and I was pretty proud. I'd been to the Yukon once before. I was proud. I'd been there on a motorcycle, white horse and uh, uh, so forth, Watson Lake. So I was pretty proud. I could put down two. I'd been to the Yukon two times. <laughs> I handed him the pen and he writes in 27. <laughs> and right then I realized no wonder Penny was very willing to give up the right seat. <laughs> She's been to that winding down 27 times and you know, what a great sport, but I thoroughly enjoyed that opportunity. And, and did you, uh, of course you probably took the path least traveled, right? Yes. I can't imagine that you went up any kind of a normal route. No, well, we go up no, the track. No. We go up the trench up Highway 93 basically and do our customs and whatnot at Kimberly and then on up. And, and anyone who's interested in flying up to the Northwest Territories really needs to talk to Chuck because he's a marvelous resource in places to go and reliable places to get fuel and you know places to avoid. Um, yeah, we, we went to some pretty uh, remote places and pitched our two tents and enjoyed some fantastic backcountry scenery. The second time we took his float plane, um, his amphibious 185. Uh, and before we'd go, uh, he took me out on the lakes around Montana and had me step taxi and tie and tie up and push off and do all the things that really were pretty uh, essential when you're flying an amphibian because I had never been in a seaplane before. And there was a lot of responsibility there. And he took it yeah. very seriously. and and uh, had me pretty well coached by the time we left. And you know, he managed to land at Virginia Falls, which is an incredible place. Uh, you, you land and tie up to a dock, you have a certain slot of time because it's a fairly popular tourist area and they've got uh, twin otters coming in and out of there pretty often. So you get your hour spot, you gotta get there on time, you, you taxi up river and 
I jump out and tie up, you know, <laughs> while he, yeah. you know, takes yeah. care of the airplane. And then we hiked down to the falls, trotted back up to the plane and got out of there just as a twin otter was uh, on, on his approach. And, you know, a turbocharged, or excuse me, a, a fuel injected airplane doesn't always start real reliably when it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And all that while, Chuck was worried about getting that big <clears throat> 185 started on a hot <laughs> engine with a fuel injected, you know, yeah. uh, fuel yeah. injection while the river is flowing downstream over Virginia Falls. <laughs> Good point. We managed Good it. Point. <laughs> we managed yeah. it. <laughs> that was probably the highlight of that trip. Oh my God, I can just imagine, you know, and uh, and not to mention all the stories that you probably heard from Chuck and the hours and hours of flying over the the beautiful landscape. Yeah, it's pretty remote. There's not a lot up there. Uh, yeah, don't go here. Go over there. You know, no, no. John McKenna told me that the trip that he made one time with Chuck up that direction to Alaska, he said by far the best part of the trip was British Columbia and the Northwest Territories. He said Alaska was great too, but it wasn't as great as those pieces. But well, those I love the Yukon. Uh, I love Whitehorse. I love the river. Oh, it, da uh, Dawson City is fascinating. It, you know, that's the Klondike uh, headquarters. And we, on one of our trips, we ended up uh, finding a local Indian guide and he took us down to 40 mile down the Yukon River. And that was such a dramatic, a trip. It was just marvelous. I, I just love that part of the country as well. I love that. Hey, changing gears a little bit, you know, you truly, Trisha McKenna calls you a Renaissance woman, not just because she loves you and, and you're such a fantastic RAF contributor, <laughs> but, but she says, hey, look at, look at all she has done. She's been a journalist. She's been a small business owner. She's, she's been a printing company owner. She's been uh, obviously, a small business manager. You've been a state senator of the state of Montana. You're an accomplished pilot. What else do you want to add to the add to the CV? Well, it's like I, my God, you've you've done so many things. And by the way, I'm looking at one of your books on my shelf right here. Havoc Red is right here. See Margot Mowbray, uh, and that's only one of how many. Well, I've, I've published two books, but I do need to add something. You said, what do I want to add to my CV? And I need <laughs> to add that it was all done with a large dose of very, very good teamwork. My ex-husband and I did make a good team. He was extremely mechanical and very analytical and built a couple of different uh, large regional printing plants, one in Deer Lodge, Montana, and one in Polson, Montana. And he was very capable and uh, anything I could sell, he could print. And, um, you know, we did have a fabulous team in our newspapers. We had a, a chain of uh, six small community newspapers. And I certainly cannot take credit for any but a small part of that team. So that's what I'd like to add to my CV. And, and that's why I enjoy the RIF so much. It just seems like the team is a, a well-oiled machine, as the cliche goes. And then... <laughs> yeah. Moving on to Havoc Red, I will uh, circle back to something that I said about Chuck's and my travels. We landed at um, Watson Lake, and I had been I had been to Watson Lake on the highway, but I had never been to the airport. And anyone who's been to Watson Lake knows it's this huge concrete airport with this huge hangar out in the middle of nowhere. 
And I asked Chuck, I said, my gosh, what, what's the purpose? What, what do they do out here? And he said, oh, you, don't, you didn't realize that this is part of this Northwest staging route while they, um, during World War II, uh, some thousands and thousands of airplanes came through here that the U.S. was uh, giving to the Russians as part of the Lend-Lease program. Well, that absolutely fascinated me, and I went into their little terminal building there, and uh, they have a gallery of marvelous historic photos, and that's what launched me on my um, research for Havoc Red. I, I just wanted to, to tell you that. Awesome. You know, so anybody then that travels that route, they should read that book. Well, I mean, that, it does that, explain it. Yeah, it explains yeah. the Northwest staging route, all those airstrips that they scratched out of the wilderness uh, for, for fuel stops. Yeah. And that was the purpose of the Alcan Highway, was to support the military transport of those airplanes. Interesting. I didn't know that either. Another landing strip, <laughs> the yeah. Alcan Highway. Well, yeah, there were, the, yeah, it's a, a, it was a huge, and as people may know, it was a, Herculean effort to get that highway finished in time to do you know be of any service to bring supplies and fuel and and mechanical ability along the route. It goes yeah. all the way to Fairbanks. Yeah. Hey, what's your what's your favorite camping spot? What's your favorite place to go? Oh gosh, Bill. You know now that I'm yeah. in Utah. Can you you don't have to limit it to one, I suppose, because <laughs> I think that's hard. Well, Meadow Creek is one of my favorites. Uh, I can get there in my 182 from Polson in 20 minutes. So I'm so blessed. <laughs> Just like you, you know, how long does it take you to get from Kashmir to uh, Moose City, Moose Creek? Moose Creek. You know, that's, that's a good two hour flight. Okay. So yeah. Well, I'm lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I get to Schaefer in 45 minutes. Uh, you know, I, and I don't take that for granted. Some of our yeah. friends that live in the Midwest that like to come out West, uh, you know, I, I, I want them to know I don't take that for granted. Uh, what I don't, like to do is leave too late in the day you know I yeah want to leave early in the morning and get settled in before the winds kick up yeah yeah absolutely right and then stay right yeah exactly the best part is the stay part yeah the uh, hiking out of Meadow Creek is beautiful uh I have yet to float the uh south fork of the flathead um I'd love to uh start out at Meadow Creek and and you know, go downstream and is that about a day? You think is that is that a reasonable day float or is it less than that? I don't that? know. I don't know. You know, it goes past Spotted Bear and would end up in the reservoir in Hungry Horse. Yeah, right, right. It's such an easy place to get to for me. A lot of them start at Schaefer, you know, and head downriver to uh, what is it to Essex, wherever they take out at uh, out of Schaefer. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Scott Newpower would know that. So Meadow Creek, though, is your favorite. It's one of my favorites, yeah. Like I said, now that I'm in Utah for half the year, I'm discovering some beautiful places down here, too. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Well, this photo you view at Mexican Mountain, when did you do that? Uh, let's see. I've been there several times. I think this was my first time in when uh, Chuck and Penny flew their plane in, and I flew in with my daughter. Uh, that would have been in um, 2010. I'll, I remember the date because flying out of there, uh, my oil pressure dropped into the yellow as I was coming out. <laughs> and I, I radioed Chuck and I said, you know, I think I'm going to head to a highway and, and maybe fly up to Price, check my oil. I'm, I'm not real comfortable with my oil pressure. Well, to make a long story short, it, it, it ended up, 
um, with a new engine. No kidding. Uh, rebuild engine, yeah. That uh, the the en my my engine was uh, giving up the ghost, and um, it was an interesting flight back to uh, Polson. <laughs> <laughs> No doubt. I know all the roads. I know the highways. I know where the power lines are now. <laughs> all the exits. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Roads. yeah. Yeah. Oh, that always reminds me. Uh, you know, it's legal to land on highways in Montana. Right. Yeah. That that isn't as rare, I guess, as uh, as I thought it was. As I understand it now, as I've talked to people, they say, "Oh, yeah, that's legal in our state too." Well, I think um, uh, BLM land isn't it legal if you can land if you can land on a road and be on BLM. Yeah, you can. Yeah, we've been told that on BLM land you can land anywhere. But yeah. Mexican Mountain is is I think that's the I've never been there, but I've heard that the interesting thing about that is that if you fly down the canyon down the drainage, uh, you wind up making some pretty significant right hand turns, right? Yeah, it's a it's a narrow canyon. The approach yeah. is interesting too, depending on the wind. Uh, you'd you'd want to look at the airfield guide and read the notes. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine, Captain Harry Harden, uh, who lives uh, just over the border in Kentucky, and he volunteers at Moose Creek uh, oh. a lot. He's a retired airline pilot, and I think he's probably in his late eighties, I would guess. He went to Mexican Mountain one time, at any rate, just told me the story. Took off early in the morning because you know he wanted to be careful with those winds, mm -hmm. and uh, was flying down through the canyon, realizing I'm not going to be able to climb this. And he went right into a dark abyss. Right? <laughs> he said, "Man, I was lucky. I had all my lights on because he said I went into that canyon and it was just dark." Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So he said, "Here I am in a tight canyon." you know, in the darkness now, because the sun hadn't, you know, broken through in the canyon, obviously, yet. And he said, and I'm, I'm, I'm right at gross, and I'm not climbing very well. <laughs> he said, boy, one of the harrowing uh, occasions in my flying career. Yes, I'm glad he yeah. uh, told you about it. I'm glad he lived to tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. He's a great guy. I haven't seen him for a while. So, you know, we, the other day, John and I were, um, we're, we're in the midst of trying to create a new video for the RAF and uh, something that we can give to our state liaisons and our ambassadors and anybody else. It will be on our website probably as well, or a version of it will be. And it's to try to get at the heart of what the RAF is about and what it means to people. And so we were trying to explain this to this guy who's, uh, who's a video producer and, and director and uh, get to the essence of what it's about and you do this all the time in your writing because thank god you know we have somebody who knows how to write uh in this organization and you're so generous with your time you always make you know what especially whatever john writes you make it you make him sound a very intelligent and <laughs> and b on message you know so you get the point across every time but i would love to hear what you think we should say about what the RA RAF at its essence is really about. Oh boy! Um, Hard one, huh? That's a big question. Because uh, you well, want to get to the passion of, of why do people care so much? Right. Well, of course, flying is such a, uh, I guess, a privilege that we all share. Um, it's a thrill. 
it's a privilege, it's demanding, there's no end to the learning. Uh, it, so we all share that. I'll, I'll sort of put that in one silo. We all share yeah. that. And what we want to do is, number one, of course, preserve it and enhance it, uh, share it with upcoming generations so that it's always vital and available. But to try to sum up the, the sort of the purpose and the soul of the RAF in just a few words is difficult. It includes all these things. It includes a strong camaraderie, uh, a strong work ethic, volunteerism. I love the fact that it's almost 100% volunteer. I think yeah. that motivates a lot of people. They know that, in fact, just yesterday I was talking to a, a, a friend who was complaining about all the mailings that he gets from other organizations, I won't name them. Uh, we're different. We, we yeah. just assume that people will find value in us without barraging them with, with emails and, and uh, mailers and things. And those who do find us and come to us, I think are a little more dedicated because we haven't had to motivate them through uh, mass advertising. Yeah. Am I answering your question, Bill? I'm kind of uh, wandering here. No, no, I, I, think that's, I think it's right, you know, but it's, um, it's a difficult question to try to answer at, at, a, at an adequate level, I guess, with somebody who has maybe never been in an, a small airplane, <laughs> you know. Um, it's all the things that you mentioned, and then I think something that Scott Simon, I, you and I were both at the Bentonville uh, mini educational conference. Yes. I think. And you remember Scott Simon, uh, who's the Arkansas Nature Conservancy uh, director, yes. Yes. got up and said something that really stuck with me. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember his words exactly, but he said, you know, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a logical combination of the Nature Conservancy partnering with the Recreational Aviation Foundation. Mm -hmm. He said, and I find that a lot of my colleagues are surprised that I am associating with quote unquote motorheads um, mm -hmm. when, you know, when we all appreciate, you know, the solitude of the outdoors and, and you guys are noisemakers. He said, but the most important intersection that I realized, and this is what I tell my colleagues, is that the Nature Conservancy exists because people love the land. And he said, I find that you guys, as, as an organization, love the land as much as any Nature Conservancy person does. And he said, you're as much about the land as you are about airplanes. And so he said, uh, that's an intersection that we can work together on. He said, we always need to be looking for intersections with anybody in the world. And he said, and it's a real easy intersection with you because at the core, we are the same. And, and yeah. that, that bounced around in my head for a long time after he said that. Uh, and it's true because, you know, we're not racing up and down the, the airfield at Meadow Creek to see how fast we can go, you know, 10 feet above the ground. That's yeah, that's the point I missed completely was our, our, our love and reverence for the land that we get to, to yeah. access uh, with our light footprint. So it's all about the, the air and the land. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think even when I'm in the air, um, now that I'm thinking in that mode, because you know, I'm stuck in that, <laughs> even when I'm in the air, I realize, you know, I, I don't get a big, I, I guess I'm not that thrilled with the challenge of flying IFR or even over the clouds VFR. Um, I'm thrilled at what I can see. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's that unbelievable bird's eye view of, of all of this beautiful country that we, that we live in, right? And it's just, and then the freedom to be able to wander over there and take a look at that, right? Yeah, what a spectacular vista we get with, uh, with our mode of travel. Yeah, yeah, it's Back unbelievable. We had a turbo arrow, or excuse me, a tur we had a turbo arrow, but when we had our third kid, we ended up with a turbo Lance. Nice airplane, of course, beautiful, fast, at least fast uh, relative to what I was used to flying. But uh, we, when we did, unfortunately, divorce, we sold the Lance, and um, I, I thought, well, maybe I'll get you know a Mooney or something, um, something fast and whatnot. I, I get their airplane? Yeah, yeah get their airplane. Then I went for a ride in a breezy. You know what a breezy is? No. Oh, it's a little I honestly open. Don't. It, basically, it's a it's wings and uh, you know a little. I think it had a little Rotax engine. And oh, it's uh, a noun and a verb. That's what you're telling me. What's that? It's a noun and a verb. I don't. I don't know what that is. <laughs> breezy. <laughs> well, it's. I'll put it this way: it's wings, a propeller, and a seatbelt. <laughs> anyway, going for a ride in Bob's Breezy out of Kalispell, I thought, you know, I, I, I want something simpler. I don't need a Mooney. I, I want something um, that's going to get me back to a little bit more yeah. stick-type flying rather than office-type flying. And so that's why I got the old 182. Oh, got it. That was why you did the one. Where did you get the 182? Luckily, right across the airport. I just taxied it across the uh, runway into my own <laughs> hangar. Luckily, it was in Folsom. It oh, was, no kidding. No kidding. No, I was, it was exactly what I wanted. Uh, it had a stole kit on it already. Uh, supposedly, it had a low-time engine. That's, a, that's another story over a couple <laughs> of years. Um, <laughs> Low-time is, yeah, defined differently by some people than others. Exactly. Uh, yeah. The long and the short of it is it had been rebuilt over a period of six years in a little building. Uh, I, my, my, my theory is it was in a little building down in Stevensville, Montana, that had a wood stove in it, so it would get real warm in the daytime and cold at night, and that <laughs> engine sat there for six years. Well, what, what do you oh, think? Wow. You know? Yeah, things right. Happen. Yeah, things happen. Yeah. So and anyway. did Paul Iverson? Did Paul no. have something to do? Nope, nope, nope. He he didn't help you acquire this. No, uh -uh. I uh, found it on my own, and um, you know it's a small community of pilots, and they knew I was looking, and yeah. so and so got in touch with so and so, and I walked across the, uh, uh, drove across the airport and looked at it, took it for a flight, and I said, "This is perfect. I'll, I'll take it." So, do you have the Willie Steen stole on it? I do. The sportsman. It's, yeah, the Sportsman. It's wonderful. I yeah, me too. recommend it. Yeah, that's what I have as well. And Extra also, four square feet. Let me put a plug in for Willie. Um, he's now an avionics guy, and he put in my Lynx uh, ADSB, which I love. Oh, great! I didn't know he was doing avionics. That's a really good. That's a good thing to know. Yeah, it's uh, fairly new. He just got certified, and uh, he's uh, 
Oh, awesome. Armin, Lynx, he's got several other uh, uh, products that he can, he can deal. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when you've been in the backcountry, have you ever run into a personality like some, some, somebody who's really famous? Oh, yes. You did? I did. Uh, McKenna called me one day and he said, uh, there's going to be a gathering at Johnson Creek and uh, Harrison Ford's going to be there. And we thought maybe we'd share the RAF story with him. Would you like to fly to Johnson Creek and uh, meet Harrison Ford? And I said, John, I would crawl to Johnson Creek to meet Harrison Ford. <laughs> but that weekend, it turned out a little differently than my expectation. And I'm going to leave that story for our next get together, our next fly in after Bill, after everyone around me's had a couple of beers. Yeah. <laughs> I'll finish the story. <laughs> You're going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, John McKenna and Chuck Jarecki were there. And, uh, I think John squirms every time I start telling this story, but uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that and I'll see you around the campfire. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I actually met Harrison Ford in Briggs, Idaho one time. And I was going over there because the Gamma, the Gamma RAF event was going to be in, in uh, Jackson Hole slash Driggs. And of course we moved it to Driggs. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, love Driggs, love Driggs. Yeah, Driggs is just an awesome place. And you know, you know where um, uh, Rich Sugden's place is, right? Right there. Yes. As you, yeah. So anyway, I landed in my 182 with the big tires and everything, got off the runway and was taxiing by there. And here's all these orange shirts sitting around outside on that patio in a circle, you know. And they're out there booing me and hissing and, you know. <laughs> spitting in my general direction and stuff and so i thought well i'll tie down the airplane and go over there and harass those people and get even and so i tied on the airplane and i run into the fbo and john's there and he goes come on we got a seat for you so he drags me out there to the circle and uh, hands me a beer and then he says hey everybody this is bill mcglynn and i go around the circle and bob hoff is there and it's oh bob you know it's like i haven't seen you for a long time and shake hands and yada 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 get all the way around the circle and then sitting next to me on the right, this guy stands up and says, hello, Bill, I'm Harrison Ford. <laughs> I oh, said, nice. I knew that. <laughs> I knew that. And we just sat there with him and he just wanted to be one of the pilots, you know, yeah, and it was yeah. just a very comfortable thing. We're all sitting around telling stories and insulting one another. And it was a lot of fun. He's a, he's, he's really a, a really nice guy. He's and very, very uh, normal, if you want to call it that, for mm -hmm. considering that One people of us. wrong him every time he goes anywhere. Except for in Driggs. Nobody, I didn't see anybody throwing him in Driggs. Everybody left him alone. Oh, I, think it's, nice. uh, I think that's probably why he hangs out in Driggs. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, Tim Riley country now. Yeah, yeah. I uh, was part of the uh, Firehub chat, just this most recent one, and it sounds like he's working on some substantial things as well. Yeah, yeah, some really good things going on with the Forest Service, and uh, and I think uh, Tim has brought some new energy and life to to that effort, and I think it's been really, really helpful. So, Carmen, what else? Well, gosh, you, you you've built me up so much. I appreciate it. Like I said, I'm gonna. <laughs> well, you are an icon, after all. What's that? 
you are an icon. <laughs> well, I, like I said, I'll live that legend. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll keep it. So you're in Utah now, and then you will migrate, right? Yes, I uh, usually come down here about the mid-November, and I should be heading back around the uh, first week of May or so, pretty soon here. Um, Montana has a quarantine order, so I'll have to stay at home for two weeks, but uh, that's okay. I've got my daughter lives there, and she's going to bring me groceries, and oh, nice. just fine. Yeah. Hey, and um, did you fly down there? Did you do you yeah. take your 182 down there? Yeah, I do. I've got a hangar. Oh, okay. I, I read oh, okay. one of Gordon Rock's hangers, as a matter of fact. Gordon Rock, a very oh, right. to the RAF. He's been very generous to provide me some hangar space down here. So, Well, watch for Jeff Hamilton because he's on his way. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's going to be coming down that way in the next couple of days. Okay, I enjoy Jeff and Martha. And uh, yeah. Lane Lober is our Utah liaison. He and I are yep. actually flying over to Escalante uh, tomorrow to do some work on the pilot shelter there. So um, oh, nice. we'll camp out. Um, he's going to fly his cub and I'll give him a good head start because I'll be in the 182. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, awesome, Carmen. Hey, well, thank you. Thank you for doing this and thank you for your time and thank you especially for everything that you do for the RAF and especially for making um, John look smart. Well, and, thank uh, you, Bill. And me look smarter. <laughs> it's always my pleasure. It's absolutely my pleasure. You know, I went to school in Butte, so I tell John, I, I speak Butte's, so I can, uh, I can understand you can interpret. what John's trying to say, and honestly, he's brilliant, and uh, we're lucky to have both him and Tricia. Uh, absolutely. A large part of the, the joy I have derived out of the RAF, so thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Carmen. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for everything. Oh, my pleasure.